Well, that's hard to follow up. We'll try my best. Uh, good morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I again want to welcome you to Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. So glad that you're here. If you're visiting, we'd love to get to know you. Please don't leave without speaking uh, with someone. We're glad that you're here. Our passage of Scripture this morning is found in, um, in the Gospel of John. It's printed there in your bulletin. And um, before we begin... Two nights ago on Friday night, my family joined together with so many others and maybe some of you um, just uh, down the road in the, in the square in downtown Franklin to see the, the Christmas tree lighting. Um, we were one of probably 5,000 people there on Friday night uh, that came out to see something dark get light. Um, that was the main attraction. That was what drew people was to see light come into the darkness. People came from everywhere and crowded into the square in downtown Franklin to see light come into the darkness. That's what drew people. Our passage, though, this morning is about a time 2,000 years ago that a greater light came into deeper darkness and no one came to see it. It didn't draw anybody. In fact, it repelled everyone. No one came to see this light come into the darkness. It was the light of life. It was the Son of God. It was the long-awaited Messiah. And when he came into the world as the light of the world, it should have been a celebration that would have put downtown Franklin to shame. It should have been a celebration that would put every celebration in the history of the world to shame. The light coming into this darkness but it wasn't. The light was ignored and it was rejected. But the light kept coming. And the light kept coming because there was something there. There was something in that deep darkness that was of infinite value to the light. There was something there in the deep darkness that was desperately hiding that the light came to find. There was something there in the darkness that was running away from the light that the light came to find. And that's your story and that's my story. That has everything to do with you and me this morning. Our reading is in John chapter 1. We're going to focus on verses 5 and then verses 9 to 13, but let's read together the entirety of what's printed there. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would come and shine your light on us now. Would you please illumine our darkness? Would you please come and restore to us the joy of your salvation, the joy of the salvation of the light that came into the darkness to find sons and daughters? Would you please, O God, claim our hearts this morning, either for the first time or for the 10,000th time? And we pray that, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. So our passage this morning about the light coming into the darkness. The way I want to approach this this morning is to consider this under three headings. How the light comes, where the light comes, and why the light comes. How the light comes, where it comes, and then why it comes. So first of all, how the light comes. How does the light come into the darkness? In verse 5, John writes that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if we only had that verse, we might be tempted to be under the impression that Jesus, as the light of the world, shines into the darkness and illuminates this world and gives light to the world from a good safe distance, uh, from a good ways off, from a, from a remote location, right? Because the darkness is here, the light is here, and the light shines on the darkness, but there's a distance, there's a gap between the light and where the light is shining. That's the way that light works after all, right? I mean, the, the sun illuminates our planet from a good safe distance of 93 million miles away. Um, the light bulbs in the ceiling can illuminate us on the ground here from a good safe distance. It stays there we're here, but it can illuminate, it can shine light on us from, from a good safe distance. That's how light works. That's how it normally operates. But notice that when Jesus, as the light of the world, when Jesus comes shining into the darkness, he doesn't stay a good safe distance away. He doesn't keep his distance and shine from the outside in like the sun is doing right now. In verses 9 and the first part of verse 10, John writes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. This is incredible. John is reminding us that the world, the world was made through him. <laughs> God made the world through the word. And back in verse 3, remember he had, he had written this, that all things were made through him. The world was created through the word, through Jesus. So Jesus is the author. He's the creator. He's the source. He's the architect. He's the builder. The world is outside of God, and God is outside of the world. There is a distance. There's a gap there. Um, the fancy theological word for this is God's transcendence, that God is above and outside of and separate from what he creates. Just like the author of a story is infinitely outside of and above the story that he writes. Um, C.S. Lewis is above and apart from the world of Narnia that he creates. Um, J.R. Tolkien is infinitely above and outside of, separated from the world of Middle Earth that he creates. 
It's the understatement of the century to say that, the, that there is a distance, a good safe distance between the creator and the creation. And brothers and sisters and friends, it is that distance that the light of the world travels to shine into the darkness of this world, to shine into the darkness of your heart and my heart. John writes, the true light was doing what? Coming into the world. He was in the world. John is saying here that the author wrote himself into the story as one of the characters. <laughs> the creator came into his creation. The word became flesh. He literally came into the world that he created, bringing light and life, bringing healing and hope, not from a good safe distance, but bringing it all the way in. That's how the light comes. It comes all the way in. He doesn't stay safe and distant and remote. He doesn't keep a safe distance away from your darkness or my darkness, but he plunges headfirst all the way into it, all the way to the point of becoming a part of the world that he created. Think about it like this. It's Christmas time, and maybe sometime this week or a few weeks ago, you pulled out all of your Christmas decorations, and one of those was probably a snow globe of some kind. Or maybe you remember going to your grandparents' house and seeing um, snow globes on the counter. Maybe, you see, maybe you've seen them around stores or big snow globes in people's yards. It's just such a quintessential, nostalgic kind of Christmas decoration, a snow globe. Um, there are these big glass domes, you know, with beautiful scenery inside of it, like a, a, a countryside or a, or a street or a landscape or something like that. And you can turn it upside down, shake it up, and little white flecks get stirred up. And it just looks like this perfect, beautiful, idyllic scene that's snowing inside this world of the snow globe. I want you to imagine our world like that snow globe. And what John is not saying, what he's not saying is that Jesus came into the room where the snow globe was and stood a safe distance back and shined a light on that snow globe and lit it up from a good safe distance. What he's saying is that he came into that dark room where that snow globe is and he walked up to that snow globe and he took a deep breath and entered into that, snow, into that snow globe and became a part of the scenery. He wrote himself into the story as one of the characters, as part of the scenery. I'm going to make up a word here, but Jesus took on snow globeness when, he, when the light came into the world, when the word became flesh. Paul writes it like this. He says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's how the light comes. It comes all the way in. And there's so much more to say here, but Nate is going to say it so much better next week when he preaches on verse 14. But before we leave this first point, I just want to say this on how the light comes. I want you to see why this is good news. Because it means that Jesus is not the kind of Savior that relates to you and relates to me from a good, safe distance. 
He sees your darkness, and he sees, and he sees you there in the darkness. And he's not the kind of Savior that comes and just lobs help from a good, safe distance away. He's a Savior that sees you as you really are. And anybody that sees you and me like we really are would want to keep a distance. But Jesus plunges in. He comes all the way in. He draws near. Near to the, to a, in a way that you just can't even imagine. And brothers and sisters, that's good news to you because it means that right now, you may feel distant from him. You may feel like this Christmas season and everything that it means, it just, it's not resonating. It's not landing. And whatever's going on in your life makes God feel very far away from you right now. And you need to know that Jesus has not kept a good, safe distance from you. But he's come all the way into your story. He's come all the way. He's written himself into the story of this world and into, this, and into your story. He knows every square inch of your loneliness, of your unanswered questions, of your suffering, of your pain. He's the kind of Savior that comes all the way in. Because that's how the light comes. Now, secondly, I want you to see where the light comes. We've seen how it comes. It comes all the way in. Secondly, I want you to see where the light comes. And it's at this point that we have to adjust our snow globe illustration a little bit. It still works, but we need to tweak it because after we read verses 10 and 11, we realize that our world is not so much a snow globe as it is a septic tank. <laughs> Children, if you don't know what a septic tank is, um, just imagine the most beautiful, idyllic um, scenery inside of a snow globe, and, and then think about the exact opposite of that. Um, a septic tank, uh, if you live out in the country and you're not connected to the city's sewer system, then you have somewhere in your yard a big concrete box um, where everything goes that's flushed down the toilet. Have you ever wondered where that stuff goes? That's where it goes, and it just sits there. Um, a septic tank is dark, and it's ugly, and it's filthy, and it's toxic, it's disgusting, it's revolting, it's stomach-turning. And anybody in their right mind would walk a mile out of their way to avoid an open septic tank. Because in a septic tank, there's nothing redeemable. There's nothing beautiful. There's nothing valuable inside a septic tank. <laughs> there's nothing worth seeking out and saving in a septic tank. But that's where the light comes. That's the world that Jesus plunges headfirst into to become a part of. It's a world that's not neutral. It's a world that's dark and corrupt and in complete rebellion against him. You see, when John, in his gospel and here, when he writes about the world, when he uses that word cosmos, he's not simply referring to the planet Earth that we live in. He, rather, he's referring to a kingdom, a kingdom that's in rebellion against its king. When he writes about the world, he's talking about all of humanity, the created order that is arrayed against God, that's hostile and in rebellion against God. He's writing about humanity with its middle finger up in the air against God. The world that John writes about here is the snow globe that God made in the beginning 
and said, it is very good. It's that snow globe that then became a septic tank because of sin, because of, because of our pride, because of our lust, our greed, our idolatry, our self-centeredness, and every other expression of human depravity that we contribute to the world. In verses 10 and 11, John writes, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's a world that's not neutral. That's a world that's so blinded by sin, that's so bent in on itself and hardened in rebellion that when the light enters in, it doesn't want anything to do with it. John writes in John 3, just a few chapters later, that when the light comes into the world, the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's the world that the light comes into. It's a world that's so dead that when life comes into it, life itself, it doesn't want anything to do with it. It would rather remain dead. It's a world that's so dark that when light itself comes in, it recoils against it because it would so much rather stay in the dark. And verses 10 and 11, it tells us that this deadness, this darkness, it's universal in scope. It's across the board. It's, it's not like when God looks down at the world that he, that he sees bad guys and good guys. It's more like he sees bad guys and worse guys. Because verse 10 tells us that the world, that is humanity in general, it, it didn't know or recognize God, the light when it, come, when it comes. The world didn't know him. And so we're prepared after verse 10 to read, and then Jesus came to his own people and they got it. And they were ready. They were the spiritual ones. They were the high caliber A team. They were ready for him. But verse 11 tells us that when he came to his own people, they treated him even worse. The people that should have known better, the people that God had been reaching out to for centuries with his promises and with his prophets all throughout the Old Testament. It's not that they didn't recognize him. They rejected him. And y'all, I, I want this to hit you. Verse 11 should be the last verse in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, it really should be a very short book. You realize this should be the end of the story. His own people did not receive him. Game over. And they lived miserably ever after. The end. That should be the end of the book. Verse 11 should be the end of the Bible because look, there's nobody left. The world didn't know him and his own people didn't receive him. There's nobody left. That should be the end of it. There's no other pond to fish from. There's no other category of people. <laughs> the light comes into the snow globe turned septic tank and all that it finds is enemies. All that the light shines on is rebels who are perfectly content to stay there in the septic tank. No exceptions. That's where the light comes. Let that sink in a little bit. I think it's good to, to pause here and to see that the bad news really is this bad. Because if we don't understand how bad the bad news really is, we're not going to understand how good the good news really is. And we've got to see that the bad news about this world and about our own hearts, it really is this bad. 
The bad news is not just that we were born into the septic tank, but that the septic tank is in us. The bad news is not, it's not just that we're victims of the darkness, but that we're participants in it. That we are perpetrators of it. That we have hearts. That if God were to leave us alone, we would choose the darkness ten times out of ten times. If God were to leave us alone, we would choose the septic tank all day long. Our condition really is that desperate. That's the bad news. And the good news is that God, who had every right to just leave us there, didn't. Tim Keller says it like this. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to imagine. And at the same time, more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. A few minutes ago, I said that in a septic tank, there's nothing redeemable. There's nothing valuable. There's nothing beautiful in a septic tank. But brothers and sisters and friends, the good news of the gospel is that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And that what God sees there in the septic tank, what God sees with his eyes wide open in full daylight is somebody worth diving in after. He sees someone that he loves and that he treasures and values so much that without blinking, he dives into the darkness for them so that he can make them his children. That's the good news. I ran across this story some time ago. It's a true story. It happened in Arizona back in 2014. A woman was walking with her two-year-old daughter in their neighborhood, and the little two-year-old daughter ran into the neighbor's yard and stepped on what looked like a plastic lid there in the middle of the neighbor's yard and instantly disappeared, fell into a hole. It, It was the lid of the neighbor's septic tank. And the little two-year-old girl had fallen into it. And by the time that her mother ran over, the little girl was completely submerged and she couldn't find her daughter. And these two men, these two complete strangers who were there in the, in the yard next door heard the mother's cries and screaming and ran over and dove headfirst into that open septic tank. And after a few minutes of digging around, and coming back up for breath because they were inhaling and ingesting the contents of that septic tank. They were finally able to get down to the very bottom to find that little girl, and they brought her back up and did CPR and mouth-to-mouth and revived that little girl and brought her back to life. And one of the men was later interviewed by the newspaper And he was asked, why did you do it? Why would you dive in headfirst into a septic tank? And and he said, I would have done it for anybody. I have a son too. I have a son too. That's why he dove in. That's why he was willing to get this little girl's mess all over him, because he was a father. And he imagined his own child being down there, and the risk was completely worth it. That's why the light comes. That's 
why the light comes. We've seen how it comes. It comes all the way in, and we've seen where it comes. It comes into the, into the darkness, into the septic tank of this world, but this is why it comes, because of a father's love. Because the father said, my children are down there, and they're mine, and I love them, and they're precious in my sight, and I want them in my family. In verses 12 and 13, John writes, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. That's why the light comes, to turn orphans in the dark into children in the light, to turn rebels into sons and daughters. The light comes into the darkness to welcome prodigals home and to give them the full rights and privileges of being in the family of God. John tells us that they were born of God. That is, God is the one who loved them first. That's the way it is with parents and children, isn't it? Parents always love their children before their children even know what's going on. Um, Parents love their child before the child can love them back. And John is saying that that's how the relationship started between the light and those in the darkness. He's saying that God came and literally loved his children into existence. They came to the light because the light had come to them first. And that means, brothers and sisters, that If your claim this morning, if your testimony is that you love Jesus and that you're following him and that you're a Christian, you realize that your testimony is not that you crawled out of the septic tank to God. Your your testimony is that God crawled into the septic tank to you, that he loved you first, and that he welcomed you into his family And that you are a son or a daughter by his grace through and through. Because that's why the light came. To rescue his children. I want to close by saying this. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes this interesting detail as as he records the crucifixion of Jesus. As Jesus, the Son of God, was lifted there in between heaven and earth, suffering the wrath of God, Matthew writes that from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And it was at that time in the darkness that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened in that moment? What happened in that moment was that the light of the world came into the darkness to rescue his children by being extinguished, by going dark, by losing all sense of his connection with the Father. And all that he could cry out was, my God, my God, so that you could cry out to God, Father. So that you, as a child of the light, could come to him and say, my father. That's why the light came. And I want to invite you, 
whether for the first time or for the 10,000th time, to come to him, to come to the light, to come to the son who dove in to rescue you, to come to him, to find joy, to find peace, to find hope and healing. May that be true of you and I this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful, rich truth of the gospel. We pray that it would warm our hearts. We pray, O oh God, that you as the light of the world would keep coming into the darkness, would keep coming into those unexplored caverns of darkness in our own hearts this morning. Find us where we are hiding. Bring us out into the light. Love your children into existence. And sing over us this morning your song of hope, we pray. In your name, amen.